Hello, and welcome to What We've Learned. Series 3, Episode 10, The Finale, The Wrap-Up, The Last Chat that Shane and I dissect all the brilliance that we've heard over the last 10 episodes of this series, and this series being on leaders and pioneers, Shane. It's been such a pleasure, hasn't it? Oh, what a treat. Oh, fabulous. And we thought rather than just disappear off into the sunset while we ponder what Series 4 might look like and when we may come back, we thought we'd actually go back to the start. And David Gilbertson, who is our first guest, the author of Wine Bar Theory, 28 Rules for Life, Work and Otherwise, brilliant book that we talked about with David. Um, we've picked our favourite from there to weave back to, well, what's that? What have we heard from all of those people that we've had since David? And how do those rules not only reflect what they've said, but also for us and for you listening in what they might mean in terms of how you can take some takeaways from this final episode. So Shane, you've had a delve through the 28 wine bar theory rules. Where do we want to start? I think to me, it's all about the ones that sort of sum up what makes a great leader. Um, and the first one is, is rule 24, which is simply lead more, manage less. It sounds so simple, doesn't it, Steve? But it, you know, I think both in our careers have seen good examples and bad examples. So to you, what does this phrase lead more, manage less actually mean? Mm, good question. I mean, I can think of good, bad and horrific, actually, Shane, but we may <laughs> not have time for the third category. I think on the bad side, and it's probably easier when we, we dissect these things to think and remember the people that weren't so uh, so good at this was I, I certainly recall and I won't use names but a marketing director when I was client side that was there till nine ten o'clock at night had a very big team uh, probably 40 50 plus capable marketing people underneath them uh, but just never delegated so that was the first thing that um, by accident he made himself incredibly stressed incredibly hardworking. one he wasn't using the talent that he had built around him. Good, very, very strong recruitment policy in that organization. Very uh, difficult to get in, you know, therefore the people in those seats were really capable, but underutilized. And that was the real crime of it is not only is he working too hard, he's not letting people help and he's not letting those people take on things. So I think often leaders will fear uh, delegation of tasks because it won't be done as well as them but how on earth do you grow somebody up if you're not willing to let them do it or indeed let them do it and be surprised by how they do it and perhaps they do it better than you did yeah i think that's a great point and i think also i think culture there's no doubt about it i mean i've been around long enough to see different cultures emerge um and the more if like more modern way of working is it's not about telling people how to do it. It's, as you say, it's setting that direction and letting them maybe do it better than you. But another expression that David uses in the book under this point, which I absolutely love, is um, good bosses aren't bossy. Mm -hmm. And probably the reason I love that one is that's one when when you have confidence. And lots of people say I'm quite confident, but that's a, a discussion for another day. It's very easy for your enthusiasm and, you know, what you think you're putting out there as suggestions being, being interpreted as that's it. That's the answer, um, you know, or being bossy as, you know, um, but it's not. It's not that intention. It's trying to get that dialogue 
um, going with ideas. So it's it's a difficult one to achieve, isn't it? What what have you found works for you? Well, I think the, th the phrase that always comes to mind for me is experience is not a monopoly on good ideas. Um, so for me, working with people, and I've learned this from others, but at any level, in, in whatever I'm doing, whether it's the day job or in different facets of my life, is don't assume that because you're the oldest or the more experienced or whatever it might put you at the top of the trees, you're the only one that will know the answer. Um, I think people can come about solving problems hey, if there's kind of you know wisdom of crowds, team effort on it. That's great. Seven brains are better than one, that sort of thing. But also where you've got an open and a safe forum that people can throw in. Well, this might seem a silly idea and I'm really junior, but why don't we do it like this? I mean, and that's the thing I've learned is they'll come in with incredibly insightful ideas because they're not bogged down in the detail. They've not done it before. Um, and, and to be honest, Shane, some of the most insightful things I've ever heard start with this is probably obvious, but and it's never obvious and it's yeah. always helpful or this is a, I, this this might be a silly idea but you know exactly. it's those those are the ones you want to listen very carefully to and i think you know, it, it's something we all know this and i think it's something we've missed um in the last two years is that you know when we as humans get together and we get that chance to spark off each other as you say that wisdom of crowds but the more you do it the more people feel willing to share and and hopefully have a culture of encouragement they have leaders who encourage them to participate um and then explain perhaps when you know it's still a good idea but it's not appropriate is the why not i think that's often frustrating mm -hmm. for people is you know that they don't understand the backstory that is a great idea but in this situation it's not one we could pursue because um but but it could also be that and again i've had this many times that you and you came back you, you mentioned uh, culture and my example of that that ex-colleague who you know just cult, set the wrong culture which is goodness do we all need to work till nine o'clock at night and not delegate down if it's the other way around where you foster this environment of openness trust that actually anyone can come up with an idea might not be to your point right because they may not have the full information but it feels a little bit like building a lego house is you need the first Lego piece in and that Lego piece without that in doesn't spark the next piece that goes in and the next piece. And somebody's off the mark idea that's not quite right might end with a yeah, That's not going to work. But actually what that's made me think is what about that? And you've got that literally the building blocks of a really good idea, but it comes from something that on its own may not have completed the picture, but it certainly started it. Yeah, I think so. And I think that leads us on to sort of the next point that one of the other points, not in chronological order that, that no, David no. makes, but what we got? What number jumping we back to 14, um, you know, how, how do you achieve the 124, which was lead more, manage less? And lots of people that I work with in senior teams, even boards say to me, oh, I just haven't got enough good managers. Well, mm, sorry, buck stops with you you know, that's that's not their fault because they're not doing the next one, which is 14, which is be more responsible, give away responsibility. Mm. And I see far too much of sort of holding on to all sorts of things. It could be, and you, you probably see this too, Steve, like budgeting. You know, why, why are you not doing literally bottom-up budgeting, budgeting where the most junior person in your team is involved in the budget process? Um, you know, why is it a top down? So, you know, that responsibility, giving away responsibility to me is a hugely important part of of leadership. 
Yeah, making people feel that they're worth something. I agree, interested. Funny enough, actually, this very week, uh, one of the team here where I work, we've just made them the VP of social uh, in terms of their vice president for getting us out and doing stuff together. Is that a badge that they will wear on their LinkedIn? No, but does it make them feel like, oh, actually, so, oh, I've got response. Oh, so I'm, I can come up with good ideas, can I? And that's playing to that individual in terms of what she loves to do. It, it's it's you know, responsibility doesn't always have to be, although I agree with you, things like finance is, uh, it, it's a particularly for you and I and, and people that might be listening in from a marketing background, it's one of the, oh no, we need to do some maths, do we? But actually, of course you bloody do. But the sooner you're introduced to it, and if you're given a chance by your boss, your boss's boss in a trusted, safe environment to go, look, go and start to learn this stuff. I want you to input the KPIs that go to the board or wherever they are. You, you, you see your piece in the in the puzzle or in the jigsaw or in the machine rather than you just feeling like you are literally at the bottom. So I think empowering people absolutely agree. And it plays back to that other point, doesn't it? If you've got too much to do, then give it to other people. Um, more hands makes more work complete faster, uh, which I don't even think is a phrase, but it is now. But the idea that, you know, we can get more done together and it, it, it exposes them to things that they'll learn. They might not get it right, but they'll certainly get the work, the job done. And with that feeling of empowerment that I'm responsible for something, something which I don't think is trivial at all. As I mentioned, example, colleague, that you're in charge of social, getting, getting us out and doing things and thinking differently on that versus head of finance versus whatever the role might be. It's such an empowering position for, for those people to be. And it's a freedom to that manager or that leader to just have one task off their plate. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it, it's really good, but it does require, of course, businesses where everybody feels responsible. You know, that person's going to have real investment in, in making sure that, you know, the best possible things are put on. But if something goes wrong, they can't be blamed. You know, I think it's that shared responsibility because, you know, a blame culture kills that willingness for people to step up. And I think mm. it's also something Richard in our in our very last um, podcast in the series, he mentioned, you know, m you progress more quickly when you make, you make your boss's job easier. Um, and it's just so true. It's it's sort of like the ones who do progress very quickly take away your pain. They see the pain you've got. They come up with solutions. Um, they get on and do it before you've even realised and you haven't even asked them to do it. Mm. Um, and they're the people who go a long way very fast. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also the leader that recognises that you want to breed a culture where the people that work for you want your job. And that's yeah. not a threat. That's a real opportunity to grow other people up in and around you and, and into roles in the business that you may not have considered them for. And that certainly has come out, particularly Ian Lovett spoke so eloquently about how over the years of, of running Blue Sheep, Blue Ven, that there's certain individuals that came in for one particular reason and have gone in, in totally different directions. Uh, and because they're good at it, because they've been given that environment where they are allowed to, to try and to, to fail. Um, my, my classic phrase someone taught me years ago is, you know, there's there's bumpers on cars and there's rubbers on pencils because humans make mistakes. It's mm -hmm. OK to be in that environment. You don't have to get it right first time. You just need to to, to understand and learn from it. And I, I think it's really interesting is that, you know, your your sort of attitude to taking risks as a leader and there's no doubt about it, rubs off on your team. And, and one of the, the clear sort of indications, I was very lucky enough to work with an organisation. And again, it's something that, that David touches on to point 19 this time. If Ooh. talent exists within 
promote it mm. um oh my goodness you know it was an organization that that sent people to run a single person office i was lucky enough to have the choice between australia and um america which was a four person office i was 24 you know and i didn't see any of the challenges of going to you know a country to a different business culture um in a role that i'd never done I was just excited about it, you know, and achieved so, I think, much more. And that company achieved so much because they they recruited grad talent. doesn't have to be graduate talent, obviously, but it was the culture of the business because it was sort of academic publishing um, that did that. Gave them responsibility really, really early. Mm. And you could see, I mean, my boss was, who was a manager, was, was only a year and a half older than me. Um, and then you know made the i made the board at 28 which it didn't seem inconceivable at all because this company had this culture of we've, we've recruited the best people in the first place then we should be jolly well promoting it within and i don't see much of that going on i mean i might be being cynical but i what do you think steve do you do you think that too many people going out with the shopping list to try and find the perfect candidate and bring it in particularly maybe within marketing and agencies well i think in any discipline i'm just thinking back to time client side where i completely agree with you i think the the slight nuance to that shane that i've seen that's the bad side of it is people that are really good subject matter experts in whatever they do get automatically promoted to be managers of the people they're they're, they're kind of um their peers and I think that's often a disaster because you can have people that are really good at what they do but are then expected to manage the people that do it but aren't given a the chance to decide whether they want to do it often in the environment I've been in or, or b the, the skills and the support around it so for every one of you there's somebody that actually doesn't want to do that and shouldn't be forced into it um, I think on the on the positive side though again where you can give people and it links back to what you've already said and, and certainly Ian talked a lot about this of people that you know if you've already got good people in the building why are you going out you're going to there's a big risk yes. and the analogy that he used was you know um, from a soccer point of view that if you bring in a star player from outside will they gel with the rest of the team are they going to put the nose out of joint of those people that have come up through the ranks and they feel like well I've got nowhere to go if that's you know you get to a certain level and then someone else comes in from the outside i think it's really missing the obvious that you've got to exactly david's point 19 talents there promote it if it's not there maybe you need to go and find it but perhaps you need to nurture that talent before you bring in external i think the interesting point you mentioned the word there subject matter expert and i i find this fascinating because it's something that, that Gemma davis sort of mentioned when we talked to her is that of course you know, a lot of the subjects that we're trying to find experts on have only been around a couple of years in their current guise. Um, you know, whether that's sort of coding, no code coding, or whether it's machine learning, or whether it's, you know, slightly different now. Marketing automation has been around a good 10 years, but, you know, at the beginning of that process, we were all learning it from scratch. So, you know, how long do you need to become a subject matter expert versus finding somebody super bright who's interested in the area and going, actually, this is a new area for all of us. Why don't you have a go at it? And I know you've done that really successfully, Steve, haven't you, in sort of 
some areas both well, yourself just, and team. by chance really for me personally that um you know and so what do you also need back to leadership i've had a couple of times i remember two brilliant bosses that get balance shame between empowering you but also giving you the guide rails and that this is how we do things so you weren't just sent off into the wilderness and go on then you go and work it out which can be really terrifying to people they, they gave enough rope if you like to hang myself but but also recognize that actually um steve's got an appetite a desire a curiosity on this subject none of us know the answer to this let's go and let him find it out and i probably at that stage in my career around um managing uh, and starting e-commerce back in the late 90s into the early noughties was, was you know it was a very kind of unknown space i didn't have the strategic know-how that boss did but it, and that's the other point is the web together if you've got and i see this with social media quite a lot you'll have people that generationally will get social media in terms of how to use it but they won't necessarily understand why to use it when it comes to business and, but there's a good there's a good marriage there tactical now i know how social media works coupled with that experience strategic experience of and it's the point you made earlier somebody might come up with an idea but actually there's a reason why this won't work or we should look at it in a different way so that there's a piece around collaboration and again that that comes out from good leaders they don't just decide on their own again back to ian made a brilliant point around you know when it's a really challenging time in the business we could have made a decision and dictated it to the staff but instead we asked them what was their opinion what would what do they think is the right thing to do yeah, and that, and that shows real trust, doesn't it, in mm. your team? I think that's lovely. And that, you know, something that's come through, I think, from all the people we've talked about, um, you know, on these podcasts that we've talked to and their experience as leaders is that they appear to demonstrate a great deal of, of empathy. And I know the next point sort of that both you and I picked was 27, stand in the other person's shoes. So why, why did you pick this one, Steve, as being one of the sort of guiding principles of leadership? Well, I think it, it, it harks back to um, Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, Shane, reading that book many, many years ago and talking to his daughter, um, Scout, about a case for Tom Robinson and saying, look, you never truly understand another person until you walk in their skin. And so I think in any aspect of my life, personal, professional, and I wouldn't say I'm always perfect at it, certainly on the personal side, is trying to have that empathy and understanding of what are they thinking? What makes them tick? And of course, when it comes to marketing our discipline that's absolutely vital to marketing if you're trying to target people an audience um whoever it might be you need to understand them uh, and and again the same is true at a micro level with with leadership or management is if you're trying to uh, again even down to the level of articulate direction for a business or talk to them about management reports or whatever it might be you've got to talk their language if you're sitting in front of a bunch of Oxbridge graduates that are going to come out and, and are com you know computer scientists speak the way they would speak versus if you're just talking to your team of customer service agents don't try and bombard them with language around what's happened in this fiscal in terms that they'll look at you and think I've no idea what you're talking about but we'll just nod politely so I think having that ability to attune to people to what makes them tick and how they think is, is vital in any walk of life yes and again it's about talking to each other isn't it and sort of trying to build that understanding i think there's a misunderstanding sometimes also and we both you and i recently participated in a conference where there was a fantastic um discussion on diversity and inclusion and that it it's about again this understanding that that you know it's not that you, you your words are interesting it's it's 
understanding what language you use that you don't even see mm. is not inclusive. Um, and you can only get that when you start to sit down and, and have discussions and joint discussions and see it from the other person's point of view. Um, and the other really important thing, and I think this was quite, for me, liberating, it doesn't mean that you have to agree. It means mm. you have to understand. And I think there's, it's a conversation that, you know, we all need to have a lot more of. But what things do we say that actually immediately put barriers up or, you know, lock people out um, without even realising it? We all do it. Yeah, without even seeing it. Absolutely. Because you've used language um, that they just don't understand or is offensive to them or it just loses them, whatever it might be. And it's, it's that. And again, I suppose from, you know, the modern leader, and maybe they should have always had it, is that emotional intelligence. To, to, to really be able to have empathy and understand and just as it says number 27 to stand in their shoes and think how would they see this how would they want to understand this what do they need to hear or to know right now rather than what do I think I should be telling them yes and I, I mean I think you know it, it's it's more than just trying to imagine it is that sometimes you can't because it's such a different experience mm. um i did see recently and there's a bit of binge tv where uh, i think Shame. it was That's unlike i you. know um where actually somebody was forced to put on um, uh, a fat suit um to to understand what it was really like to be a four stone overweight and um you know just that you couldn't move quite as quickly and yeah uh, you know yeah. and just that you, sometimes you know the extremes that you need to go I've to. been wearing one of those for a while <laughs> well, you and me well, both, but, but to the there, point of well. to that again that leader that's got that ability if you can't understand that's fine but maybe there's someone else and again it's that not just taking and shouldering all the responsibility yourself I've got to craft the perfect speech to the staff is reaching out to people in and around you, you know, whether that's home or at work, that might be better connected and might better sense check and, and it goes back to empowerment. If you take one of your team and go, look, could you just read my speech? Could you read my slides and tell me what you think? That's an incredible shot in the arm. That's chest out, spine up for that person that goes, wow, the boss trusts me to take that. Or they trust them so much that they write the speech for them. I mean, I had a fantastic Indeed, example yep. and I won't name them, but there is a, a, a leader that I know who finds it really difficult to express themselves in public um, and found somebody in their team who who writes in their voice brilliantly mm. um, and it you know but and it's it's really interesting there's so much trust there um, that you know that's it's done that way round and actually the revisions you know uh, uh, not somebody reviewing what they'd written but you know somebody writing for them and I think that that shows huge trust and is they're doing what they're good at which i think is and also what's interesting is often what goes hand in hand um, this is point 28 is you tend to be better at the things you enjoy doing that certainly is true for mm. me i put more love more hours into the things i love the things that you know perhaps i'm not so keen i can do them uh, I can absolutely do them, but they're not what I would say I want to spend my waking hours doing. Um, they're done through slightly gritted teeth. And we all do that. You know, we have our list at the bottom of the list of things we least enjoy. Um, so I think that's another good way of doing it. You know, find a way to do the stuff you enjoy and find other people who love to do the stuff you hate. Yeah. And again, that's back to recruitment, isn't it? It's 
don't hire people that look like you people hire people that are different to you because to, to your point the chances are what you might find painful or the bottom of your list might be top of theirs so you've got that blend of skills in your team or your department or your business um but also don't just store them up and and absolutely shane in terms of there are certain things that i just i'm woeful at and i will and i've got colleagues i'm lucky enough to have colleagues that i know are far better than me at it and i will work with them i'll take stuff back it's a kind of quid pro quo there's certain things that i like to do or i'm more comfortable with uh, and I, I think you're right most people do more of the stuff they enjoy so again from a leadership point of view who recognized links to 27 doesn't it that stand in other people's shoes if you understand what your teams like doing and they don't like doing try and give them more of what they like and less of what they don't and if you can't do that we'll find ways to make what they don't like easier for them or more enjoyable or whatever it might be that might be training it might be re reprocess it might be all sorts of different ways of, of making it less daunting for them I think that's great and that shows empathy there Steve I think that's a great point about the reason understanding the reason people don't like doing things mm. um is it because they're you know there's a fear factor and I think speaking presenting is often one you know that that I come across I have people come to me and say oh you know you, you make it look easy and I go when I first did this I hated doing it mm, um same. you know and, and so essentially you say the same and but it it's through learning how to do it and being trained how to do it um that you overcome that and then once you've overcome that then comes the enjoyment so i think that's a really great point you make steve is that if if leaders can find you know ask almost that question of you know getting people to list their write down five things in your job what's number one thing you love what's number five thing you hate give them more of number one but find out ways to overcome the things they hate's a strong word but dislike, dislike. put off <laughs> well yeah we'll, well but we'll put to the bottom of the list i think it's a really nice point shane really lovely now look there's 28 of these rules shane we we haven't got enough tape to do all of the podcast on that and of course we, what we don't want to do is cover every 28 points because you should be listening in if you don't own wine bar theory by david gilbertson you should do and therefore you can read them and you can make your own decisions on them um so let's change the direction slightly shane um the other thing that we've been thinking about for this series finale is uh, what ingredients make up a good leader and what are the characteristics we're looking for in a leader or, or a pioneer uh, and if we were in a lab we were scientifically working away to try and build the perfect leader or pioneer what are our thoughts, Shane? What are we looking for? What have we heard from the people that have given us their time as, as guests this series, but also generally, what are we looking for in a great leader or a pioneer, do you think, today? Well, I, I think... Where would I you start? Where should we start? Well, in fact, it's not one of the ones that I'd sort of thought about in advance, but I think you've just embodied it because I th I know that you do this and, and and I think you are one of the people I hold up as, you know, pioneering in different, pioneering in different ways. But Steve, you said tape um, and I'm just, uh -huh. you've just lost all our, you know, iPods, uh, Apple listeners there with what's this word tape. I think a great leader always has the ability to laugh at themselves. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, indeed. So C90 tape fans, I'm afraid we don't actually record on this. It is recorded into the cloud via all sorts of VoIP software, which I can talk to you about afterwards. Yeah, well, there's an interesting point in that, Shane, actually, as well, of being able to just, again, speak the right language for your audience. And I pride myself and 
people I work with might be offended or, or disagree with me of, of trying to use an anecdote or a phrase or somebody or something that doesn't resent result in them all scratching their heads and googling or looking on YouTube for what on earth was that cultural reference all about. Um, yeah, I think that's a very important one to not only speak the language, but yeah, to have a, a well, a sense of humour, shame, but a sense of per place as well that be humble about who you are and, and who's around you. And I, I think that came through massively, whether it was Dom or Ruth or Emma or Richard, Ian, David, all of, you know, all of our guests in this series, that sort of sense of sense of self. They knew that they know themselves. Humbleness, um, definitely, you know, ego is an interesting word. Um, it's actually sense of self, but it's it's that again, one of those words that's misused, but these I think everybody, all of our guests who've, who've achieved so much have always given the credit to others before themselves. And I think that that really, for me, was one of the most interesting characteristics that every time we spoke to everybody came out so clearly. Yeah, I agree. I think they were schooled ready for podcasts to not come across as an egotistical maniac. Not in that. <laughs> no, no, of course. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's again, it's back to that team player. Yes, there needs to be a leader. And, you know, my analogy, somebody needs to set the sat-nav. Somebody needs to steer the wheel. But everybody helps get that engine, that that vehicle in that direction and get it on the route it needs to be. Um, a bit, it only comes from experience, though. And I think the other point that came out, particularly Dom, um, Ruth, but others on, on the series were around the fact that they recognise when things have been hard or haven't worked, what they can learn from take away from those in terms of what you know the next steps are if i've not achieved or something's i i've not done it well or i've been let down by others how do i take that as fuel rather than something that just takes them apart or destroys them that coupled with just sheer resilience i mm -hmm. mean you know emma encapsulated that massively me i mean just the power of of as you say to keep going um but also i loved i think you know we're not we're saying these people are all necessarily um always easy um you know uh, some sheer blooded mindedness gets you a long way as as uh, ruth definitely you know not accepting a no not accepting somebody when somebody says can't seeing mm. it as a challenge and i think that you know real no i'm i'm going to show you wrong comes mm -hmm. through lots of our guests yeah i totally agree i think it's again it's a really interesting balance isn't it but it is that again turning things into fuel and, and ruth absolutely embodied that in terms of if if the world says no then she's going to find another way there's going to be a way there is a way of course there's a way you can't tell me i can't do something i think that's a really uh, yeah it's not single well it's single-mindedness i guess but it's a it's a positive aspect of it that if you couple that with with leadership shane i think somebody that sees the world like that and then forges a team behind them that say right we'll go with you we don't know what the answer is but we believe that you believe strongly enough that there is a way of doing it you know you really have built a very very loyal and solid team so perhaps people listening, you know, if, if, you, if you're told no a lot, mm -hmm. um, maybe it's your chance to forge ahead and not accept it. But I think the other other one you mentioned earlier is is curiosity. And uh, it's what I've loved through my career and continue to love is that, that there's always something new to learn. Um, and I'm never bored. And again, that, that intellectual curiosity, the, the ability to sort of 
learn new things. Um, it, it's just brilliant. And it appears that, again, the leaders have that real ability to they, do that. They, they rediscover something that we've all got. And I'm sure we, we've certainly talked, not necessarily on this podcast, but we'll have talked about this before, Shane, is that, you know, as children, two and a half year olds, and if you've got parents listening in, they'll relate to the to the day that their child discovers the, the question why, um, which is endearing if it's not your child, but is incredibly tiring when they just constantly asking why. But it's, it's something, you know, it's incredibly natural at that age. We, we've, we've, we've landed here. We need to learn everything. So the why question is really important. But I think life eventually knocks that out of us, that we stop asking why. And I think that, again, it's people that have rediscovered that why or the curiosity to go, well, and again, for me, I've used this so many times with, with people from marketing point of views. Well, why do we do it this way? Why don't we do this? Why don't we try it? And I think that harks back to the point earlier of, of trust. If you're in an environment where you feel like you could fail, you've got that, that freedom underneath that leader or that boss to say, well, I'm going to try it this way. Good. Yeah. Let's try it. Will it work? Don't know. But it's a step yeah. closer to whatever the answer is. And that's often interpreted in, in adults as being brave, you know, being a bit of a risk taker. But but actually, in in some ways, I think you're de-risking it by trying things because uh, otherwise, you know, as we've all learnt, um, you know, the world does not stay the same. Um, and if you stay the same, then, you know, you're in danger of, of getting well and truly left behind. So I think that ability to me to, to look ahead and to take some risks even though perhaps the people who take them don't see them as risks is really important yeah i agree and i think the other side of of that that why is you end up stuck with the what i would call the 1997 people oh no we tried that in 1997 it didn't work i don't think we should try it again they'll you know they'll never push forward but they all have that accent steve um only two of them yeah um <laughs> in my head they always do shane yeah that's how they sound is that oh no not that no we wouldn't do that here it, it's just it's a balance right you don't want to be so rogue that you, you're going to bring down the business and, and make rash terrible decisions um and i suppose the way i culture people where i work it when it comes to being agency with with clients is look spend the money like it's our own would we do this if it was our money that we were charged with in terms of building that campaign or program um, if it's yeah. a yes we do it if it's a no we don't if it's a maybe we test it simple as that and even more liberating is sometimes when you can give a team and say right you've got no budget what can you do with no money and i actually that can be very freeing so it's very surprising it, it can be shame but i'm not going to recommend that on this podcast in case oh, any of the clients i know <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, you're quite right. It's that doing it on the minimal is, yeah, what could you do? It's suddenly in, the necessity is the mother of all invention, right? If you've, you're in a, it's really easy to spend money on a big budget or a big program or a big project, whatever your walk of life is. It's much harder when there's not much money kicking around. Or easier. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Much harder to, you know, yes, quite. It's harder because you have to think more about it because you, can, you can't throw money at the problem, if you will. Um, but it, it certainly gives it a certain type of freedom or a different way of thinking, for sure. It does. So on that note, Steve, I think we've... Have we, been, have we done it? Have we built the perfect leader or pioneer? We've, uh, in some kind of weird Frankenstein-esque experiment, Shane, we bolt all of those brilliant people together in Series 3. We've got them. Is that what we're saying? I think so. We can rest easy. Good. Okay. 
All right. Well, in that case, look, what shall I say? Shane, thank you ever so much. An absolute pleasure as always. Always fascinating, brilliant, insightful doing it with you, let alone all the brilliant guests. So thank you. Um, to anyone listening in, it's the end of series three. That means you've missed 34 other episodes. I've no idea where you've been, but fear not. Um, they're all available on Spotify, on Acast, on Apple, wherever you get podcasts from. If you just subscribe, uh, you will find all of them dead easy. They'll all ping into your inbox when we put new ones in, but you can go back through the back catalogue. Don't feel like you need to listen to them chronologically. Go and dip in. Enjoy. And maybe some of those people we've spoken about in series three, if you haven't heard what they've had to say, then I certainly would recommend starting there. Uh, and settle down maybe with Wine Bar Theory that you can buy on Amazon and all sorts of other good and indifferent bookstores. Um, and maybe with a glass of wine or whatever it is you take. Enjoy that. Enjoy David's book and enjoy those episodes. And we'll be back at some point soon with another series to talk to you more about what we've learned. Thanks, everyone.